0: Welcome to The Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency, Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and change makers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Okay, let's just get straight into it, Elaine. What do they teach you as a journalist? What do journalists know that other people don't know when it comes to telling stories?
1: Wow, that's a great question. I have worked with people who aren't journalists, certainly plenty of them, and then obviously plenty of excellent journalists. And I think the most fundamental thing that journalists know that the average, say, new podcaster doesn't know, is that we almost automatically think of everything from the listener's point of view. We meaning journalists. Whereas you get other people who are new, haven't learned yet, and they tend to think of it, they tend to think of storytelling from their own point of view, particularly corporations, if you're talking about branded podcast organizations. And no one wants to listen to that. <laughs> so that's the first thing that Podcast Allies tends to talk about when we go into engagements with clients and so forth, is is to be listener first. And there's so much that mm. goes into figuring out what that means and stepping into other people's shoes. Mm. I think that's the most fundamental thing.
0: It is fundamental, isn't it? In- it's a, a step change in how you approach the content and everything well where does that come from when you start out as a journalist does that come through you know does somebody beat that into you in the editing room or you know like an old-fashioned editor or is it part of the thought architecture where does it come from Or is it just sort of learned on the job
1: wow you know for me it's if you've been doing something for a really long time I think it's very easy to assume that everything you know, everybody else knows, and takes for granted. But I started out as a journalist in high school. You know, I worked on the on the high school paper, and then I worked in the college newspaper. And I, you know, I have a degree in English Lit and a minor in history. I mean, we're talking about a long time ago now. And I think for me, yeah, I I did go to journalism school. I didn't actually finish journalism school, but um. It was learning on the job. And I think it was just assumed, you know, it's like when I started, what do the readers need to know?
0: Hmm.
1: You know, it's not, what do I need to know? Hopefully my interests coincide with my readers. It's a whole lot easier when that happens, but that's not always the case. So very much on the job. And then journalism school will certainly teach you that as well. So that's just sort of one of those things that, frankly, when I ran into the opposite, it surprised me.
0: Well, what is the opposite?
1: The real opposite for me doing, say, branded podcasts hmm. is organizations that say, Oh, we want to do a podcast because we want to tell everybody about our products. And we're just going to get together and maybe we'll sit on the trade show floor and we'll have conversations with, you know, maybe our customer about how they use our product. And it's like, no, that's an ad. That's not storytelling. And so that surprised yeah. me. It was like, how can you think that way?
0: When you were working on commercial content, did you have a, a very clear picture in your mind of who you were talking to?
1: Yeah, I think every time. And I, I had what now appears to me in retrospect to be this great advantage in learning that, which was that I went to grad school. In journalism, down at UT Austin, University of Texas at Austin, which is a very good school. But at the time, they were teaching journalism as a social science. So it I wanted to be a practicing journalist. I wanted to go out there and break stories and investigate things and so forth. And that really wasn't for the most part what they were teaching in the graduate school. They were teaching what I wanted to know in the regular bachelor's program. They were teaching it like, we're going to look at, we're going to count how many times the president's name shows up in the press in a particular year, you know, agenda setting and all this sort of social science research, which couldn't have bored me more. And so I left (laughs) and I needed a job and I had a background in acting, which turned out to actually be sort of useful. And one thing led to another. And I met this editor of a bunch of trade magazines for technology, people who used particular kinds of computers. And way back then it mattered whether it was a Hewlett Packard computer, or a Dell computer, Mm. whatever. So this publishing company had these trade journals, trade newspapers and trade magazines for computer users of Hewlett Packard computers, say, And i didn't know the first thing about computers i mean I was like 21 22 you know just needing a job and it turned out that this editor was also an actor and so we hit it off you know he had acting posters in his office and i said well he said you can do this you can you can write some freelance pieces i think it was like 10 cents a word and i said i really don't know anything about this and he said oh it's okay you know you'll learn and that acting background also Mm. has helped me because when you're an actor you step into the shoes of a character and of the other characters so it it was interesting because he taught me like how to think about being a reader and that reader could not have been more different than me right so I had to think about things from that perspective And I had some other jobs along the way that way. Um, and I was an editor at Inc magazine, which at the time was, and probably still is the Bible of entrepreneurship. So Mm. we had a very clear picture of who our reader was. And Mm. yeah, I think that has really been ingrained in me and at podcast Mm. allies. We actually teach that now to new podcasters Mm. and also when we consult.
0: Even to acknowledge it is a big step forward, isn't it that this is the person you're speaking to. I wonder as an actor as well. I mean, I've never really done acting, tried it at school, a bit forced into acting, <laughs> but being on stage and mm-hmm. reading the audience. So, to what extent are you doing that as an actor? You're actually, there's a point, oh, and I've done a lot of public speaking. You stand on stage, and you know, the first few, you're just Trying to get through without dying, you know, like driving a car the first time. Right. It's all, <laughs> right? As long as I can come out of this alive, and then you know, within like a couple of years, you're kind of like changing the cassette tab and all this sort of thing on the, the car. <laughs> yeah. But like on stage as well, you get to that point where you can actually have this sort of meta awareness, which is like I'm acting out the lines, which is like my physical body almost, and then I've got this sort of you know awareness that I'm actually reading the audience as well. I'm actually looking at that person, speaking to them directly as an actor. To what extent do you do that?
1: I think very much so. You know, I mean, if you've been on stage as a public speaker, and I've done that too, I think there's a huge similarity. You know, you can feel the energy in an audience. Mm if you're in person it's one of the biggest complaints that i've heard over the course of the last year from public speakers especially you know that oh you know i miss that i miss that feeling in the crowd of Mm. you know they're with you or sometimes you know they're not with you you know or you're not sure
0: Mm.
1: it seems like you've had that experience Mm, as as a public speaker yeah yeah it's like
0: performing isn't it i mean you talk about acting and i think almost with podcasting as well there's a line you have to cross where as a host you realize you're performing and i wonder that doesn't come naturally to corporates as well i mean i like yourself i work a lot with corporates Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: performing means being vulnerable in a way doesn't it it means stepping out of your armor Mm -hmm. into somebody else's shoes how do you get people to perform without being dramatic and what is the secret there because i think this is a really it's a missing link, isn't it? With a lot of podcasting, people go in and they do it like an event. Like you talk about those sort of conference floor type events.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: we're just, oh, no.
1: <laughs> next question to the
0: same question, but to the, my next panelist, and it's like, you can see people groaning, right? oh, yeah, you think yeah. you go here to perform and entertain, not, not as a clown, but to engage people. Right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think one of the hardest things is. You know, why do we all love podcasts, good podcasts? It's, I think it's the intimacy, Mm. right? Because having come from public radio, where it's one to many, you know, any radio, that's more of a news announcer putting on a persona voice. But the best podcasts, it really is like you're listening to someone who is right i mean they're obviously they're right there in your ear it's one-to-one mm. it's very authentic intimate i get to know you as a host over time and so i keep coming back because i like you the host mm. and um it's a pretty hard thing to teach i think it's teachable but it's a pretty hard thing to teach and i think often i'm not always the best at it as a host because I spent a lot of years in public radio and it's hard to turn off that news announcer persona. You know, you just fall into it automatically. It's, it can be mm. hard to turn off. I really admire people who they're just, like Minutia Marodi for instance, mm. is so good at that. And um, oh, there's so many, Jonathan Fields of mm. Good Life Project is really good at it. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of them and I really admire that. I think one of the ways mm. to coach hosts to do that is to encourage them to listen to mm. podcast hosts that they really like and try to deconstruct that, you know, and mm. listen to how how real is this person sounding? What do you yeah. think? Yeah. What do you think? Absolutely
0: I, I totally agree with you. I think like, you know, to listen to the or it's like listening to music. If you're a musician you would listen to other musicians to get inspiration and almost it's like embedded in your brain the patterns the sounds like a photographer i know you know photographers who did photojournalism, won awards for it i asked him like you know how do you take a good photograph and he says i don't know i just look at lots and lots of photographs and that's it you've got those patterns in your head and i think it's similar with listening isn't it it's embedded in your brain what a good Sound sounds like whether it 's music or a podcast, and even yourself, I listen to, for example, your voice, I can clearly tell you 've been on radio <laughs> there's something about it as well, you know you've got that radio voice, and only when you start talking to people in the the, the trade do you realize actually that's craft why why just something i'm curious about, like why do radio people sound a certain way and also you know when you talk there's a lot of emphasis like you know you, you're you're acting in a way not not in any sort of pretentious way but it's like you're conscious of the fact that the listeners can't see you and they're not sitting in front of you so you're you're reaching out to them engaging them with your emotions in the voice right
1: why well, hear and- that in your voice I, I, well, um,
0: I've been hanging around with people like you for a few years. That's where I'm getting it <laughs> from.
1: I, when you said that you had not acted or that you were forced to act, I thought, no, 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 no. And then you said, but I've done a lot of public speaking, and I, right. I can hear it. I can hear it,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Well, what about training that to corporates, though? Because that doesn't come naturally. Where, where do you get that from?
1: How do I train them?
0: No, how do you, like, your voice is a an an instrument right it carries emotion you're not monologue you're not monotone sorry Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where does that come from and what are you conscious of it when you talk
1: i'm not particularly conscious of it when i talk i think i probably sound different when i'm being interviewed or i'm interviewing than if you and i were to sit down over lunch i Mm. might be less careful Mm perhaps. And it's, but it's an automatic thing, you know, like I'd like to actually be less careful and, and more authentic. Boy, you're really making me work hard, Graham, with these questions, because so much of this is intuitive. And we've just at Podcast Allies, we've just launched this training arm of our company. And so I have to take all this stuff that I've just been doing for decades and try to translate it into something that is in my conscious brain, like, how hmm. do you, and and so far in my experience, and I haven't been, you know, work coaching hosts for that long, a few years, everybody needs a different kind of coaching, right? Because everybody's coming from a different place. And so hmm. it goes back to that listening. It's like, what am I hearing hmm. for in your voice or in the kinds of questions that you ask or the way you ask them or in, how keenly you're listening to the to me, for instance, mm. um, as your guest. and I think I think everybody is different. And so the coaching is a response in some mm. ways. I have thought, though, and I would love to get your take on this. I know there are podcasts out there that do this, but I have often thought that I really want to start a podcast that dissects pieces of other podcasts like great scenes mm. good interviews even wonderful introductions moments in time and pulls them apart you know like you would play a clip pull it apart what's why is that working why do we like
0: that mm.
1: And then maybe talk to the, one of the producers or the host and talk about that. Because, you know, you can just absorb it. But if you really dissect it, maybe you can really learn
0: mm. something.
1: I don't know. Do, what do you think? Is there a need for I that? I it's
0: a great idea. Absolutely. I think it's a wonderful idea. No, I haven't seen anybody do that. And in a way, Elaine, you were saying that what comes very intuitively, intuitively to you is sometimes the hardest thing to know create an architecture out of and teach because you have to really think about it because you've just been doing this as muscle memory for years and years and now you actually have to make words out of it yeah which is tough right but maybe that's how you do it is by tearing down you know and in a very sort of agile way you're kind of evolving that architecture and you know maybe there isn't like a a playbook for it right now but as you go through and dissect these scenes maybe that comes together
1: yeah i think i think there's truth in that and then of course you also do pull in Hmm. being a journalist of any kind i don't think it matters Hmm. the medium the longer you do it the more you pull in things that you've learned in different fields and connect Hmm. them it's it's sort of like being this interdisciplinary yeah i can't help myself oh this thing i see over here in something Mm. about the environment i see over here in business or i see and you know you pull things together and in terms of training good podcasters you know so much of it depending on the format is in the writing so Mm. there are certain frameworks that you know you can pull from say narrative nonfiction, that Mm. are very trainable, have been trained. I mean when I first went to work in public radio as a reporter in two thousand eight, they talked to me about theater of the mind. And I had not heard mm. that phrase before. And I mm. was I was just awestruck. I was like, yeah, I don't care what you pay me. I'm gonna work here. And uh, which was probably a very bad attitude because I didn't get paid well, but <laughs> I was worth you it. learn a lot. I learned so much. Yeah. You mm. know, so there are certain things that are very trainable. Like mm. painting scenes mm. and narrative nonfiction, you know, like say you're telling a story, something that happened to Graham mm. that's really important. And it, for the listener to understand it, you need some statistics or you need some mm. history and some dates. So you paint this scene and you leave the cliffhanger out, you leave the resolution out, mm. and then you switch to the statistics. And somebody's going to stick with you because they want to get back to But what happened, you know, did, did Graham actually fall off the cliff or not? Mm.
0: <laughs> find out next week.
1: Find out next week or, or just find out after you sit through this little bit of information yeah. I have to impart to you about statistics. Mm. You know, yeah. that is something got, I learned in a class.
0: Yeah, it's a technique, isn't it? I mean, I just think about my conversations from the last week or so and, you know, in in those conversations loosely connected to podcasting and family and friends. I've talked about writers, I've talked about, you know, movies, you know, this is what I saw on Netflix and I've talked about music as well. These are the lyrics that somebody wrote. And if you think about what makes all of these people really good, I mean, I was talking about Martin Scorsese as a director to my brother the other day, because we're both sort of fans of those very Scorsese type Mafia movies, but there's a very typical way that he does these sort of Scorsese scenes, which are like these mega scenes, like where you know you have all these kind of like this building of a plot line and these characters, and they're all interacting in this huge scene. And that's a technique. In the same way, if you look at any kind of I don't know what you call these people, I mean, storytellers, I suppose, at the end of the day, whether they're a movie director or a journalist or um a writer or a lyricist you know i was just listening to bob dylan Mm -hmm. you know like this week i mean 60 years ago he wrote hard rain's gonna fall right that's Mm -hmm. like 60 years but you listen to the lyrics of that now and it's a story Mm -hmm. and you think about these people they have this amazing ability to engage with you through any format any medium and yet like when people are doing podcasts, it's almost like that doesn't count. That doesn't mean anything to my life or my story or how I'm going to do it. But just to take a little bit of that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it would create that magic. All that sort of, you know, you're talking about getting people coming back. These are techniques. Oh, I've got have to remember to get my audience to listen to the next part or I have to think about how I'm going to pull them in and make them care mm-hmm. about this. You know, if you think about, so like another example like francis ford coppola right you know with the godfather Mm -hmm. how does he make people care about a criminal right and and empathize with that person that that's a, a masterpiece of directing right and i suppose that's really what journalists do so well you know not necessarily criminals but care about the human in this story and like this is missing in podcasts right
1: i don't think it is missing in podcasts i think that there are so many different types of podcasts and different levels of quality i mean that's the blessing and the curse of the fact that very few barriers to entry right hmm. so i i actually taught a workshop i have a product i have a video product that is storytelling for interviewing so it's my, th- I, so th- that is technique, right? And it's what you're talking about. It's like, all right, well, first we have to figure out what is a story anyway, mm. right? And it's, you know, the basic arc of a story, the three act structure, the journey, the hero's journey, however you want to describe it. My personal favorite is, is the Ira Glass way, which is oh
0: yeah, uh, oh.
1: action stakes reflection. Have you heard that?
0: No, teach me.
1: Oh, action st- I when I first heard that I thought, Oh, this is a way easier uh, way to explain it. It's like, okay, so you jump into the action. That's what mm-hmm. grabs us as readers or listeners or watching watchers, you have to have a character you care about. The stakes have to be high. Mm-hmm. There has to be some suspense, which means there has to be some conflict. And then, you know, ultimately, there's a resolution. And and a story is essentially something that moves along where we're always saying, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what Mm. happened? So once you understand that, then you go from there and say, well, a story is fundamental uh, or, or an interview as a journalist, anyways, a good interview is the foundation to build a story. So Mm. if you don't have good interviewing skills, you're not going to have a good story, because you don't have the details that you need.
0: Mm.
1: And so like in this presentation that I did, I've got, you know, the difference between a a house with a great foundation, this beautiful house and a ramshackle thing that just falls apart. (laughs) And, uh, and so there are a lot of techniques that you can use as an interviewer. And at the company that I founded with my partner, we you know, did this cheesy thing and we came up with, you know, a whole bunch of belief systems. We called it a manifesto for a while, but it's really not. Um, but basically we believe that you can tell a story in 30 seconds, or it could mm. be a podcast that takes six hours. Mm. But that that's what makes that's what makes us care. That plus mm. who's the character? You know, I, I know I know podcasters who come from the world of journalism who who that's the word they use like i'll still because i came up sort of as a traditional journalist call somebody a source or a subject Mm. but they'll say who's the character you know and that's much more like a novelist or movie Mm. director i think it's a good way to look at it
0: Mm. wonderful yeah yeah i love it The, the technique as well that you teach you know i'm sure people get a lot out of that because it's it's de- deconstructing it, isn't it? In a in a non uh, I'm trying to think of the word. There's a lot of mystery surrounded with storytelling naturally, but if you if you look at great storytellers, you can see that they apply a technique. You know, like your three scenes, and I mean that Shakespeare. Yo, that? yeah, and then you, yeah. Know, you see people like Steve Jobs as well. You know, even you're talking about storytelling in thirty seconds, even the use of analogy analogy is a story isn't it you know if you tell somebody the ipod's a tool for the heart that's a story
1: oh my gosh that's yeah wonderful yeah Uh, great (laughs) copywriters
0: yeah exactly and people go oh that's a story i thought a story was once upon a time Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. i think maybe the part of the you know sort of like concluding this is like the, the part of the resistance is maybe that people uh, firstly they don't understand that that is storytelling and secondly people think that storytelling is some sort of fabrication of the truth and like as a journalist you should focus on the truth and not the story that's i think the what's the word i'm looking for the tension in the narrative here is that you know people think that I should tell facts. <laughs> right. you know, that's what I'm here to do because nothing else is acceptable. I mean, how do you get over that? Because that's quite common, isn't it? That people feel that you know they should be like spark
1: and well, just giving yeah. things
0: as cold, emotionless delivery.
1: I'm sure it's a cultural thing, and so many different things affect that. So, what's your age? You know what era are you from, so to speak, in terms of journalism or now podcasting, I think, I think in my world, podcasters are a little bit more about telling the human side of things. Mm. Right. And I also think among younger journalists, these days, you know, there's starting to be a lot of discussion that about the myth of objectivity. You know, mm. there is, there really is no such thing as objectivity because we all come from our own lived experiences and, you know, like in America, hmm. you know, white supremacist culture, right? So we assume like, you know, a certain lens that's objective. Well, no, it's, it really isn't. But we haven't, we haven't taken that. I think people are starting now to take a step back mm. and say, is that truth, is that is there such a thing as objective truth what happens if i look at it through the lens of this lived experience versus mm. that lived experience but it sounds like you've had some very different experiences if i can turn the tables for a minute mm. then i have in terms of like you know when you said i think storytelling is missing from podcasting mm. T- tell me why you feel that way
0: like wh- well maybe it's it? because yeah um we're behind here in asia a little bit well a little bit like four or five years so the kind of but podcasting now so firstly you don't have people like Ira glass because you don't have public radio in the same way that you do in the states or the uk for example with bbc or npr you're
1: canada the CBC. oh yeah of course
0: yeah, yeah all of those even in australia as well there's these sort of you know great traditions of storytelling i suppose yeah and um, which can be done without any sort of commercial interest really right so right. You, don't, you don't have <laughs> that and then you also have uh you know corporates who are approaching it and they are for the first time having to uh, be vulnerable mm mm-hmm. and it, so in some sense it's happening slowly mm-hmm. um and i've seen it you know in a very literal way where you have the CEO who's doing the podcast, you know, literally not saying it in a millennial literally way, but literally would come to the podcast and would undo his tie <laughs> when he sits down. And to me, it's like, that's very symbolic, isn't it? You know, who'd unbutton
1: Absolutely. and then
0: do the podcast. Yeah, it's like, okay, now I can be me a little bit and it doesn't come naturally. No, because you know what what I say to the hosts is like, like you told me you, uh, you know, you were an actor. You trained in acting. You were passionate about acting, etc. These are bits of detail that you've told about yourself, which hosts will sometimes miss the opportunity to do. And I always tell them that the audience connects with you and not the guest. You're you're
1: the
0: -hmm. you're the bridge into their world, right? And I feel that hosts many times deflect that. And I did that when I started out in podcast. I, you know, I did hundreds of episodes without saying anything about me. Right? Mm-hmm. And I felt that was a missed opportunity because I was the reason, or any host is the reason that you'll keep coming back because we connect with you. Right? I mean, Ira Glass is a great example. I mean, mm-hmm. He will sh- guide you into the world of many people, mm-hmm. whether they're running a diner or whatever it may be, but you connect with him and he's your bridge into that world, just as a good radio anchor would be, right? So to your point about, you know, why do you think storytelling is missing? Is because I feel that people still see themselves very much like an event moderator,
1: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. because that's all they've known. And it takes people like yourself and hopefully myself to show people, oh, look, this is what it could be.
1: And it takes the same coaching over and over and over again Mm. Because I think I've had this experience not that long ago, if you grew up in a very professional environment, corporate environment, if you will, Mm. um, you are trained to behave in a certain way. And you are rewarded for that training to the point where it comes so naturally, you don't know you're doing it just like I was talking about. It's hard to get over that news announcer Mm. voice you know it just becomes a part of you it's quite difficult i think for people in the corporate world to all of a sudden go oh i'm just gonna relax and be me and be but especially because you know who's listening Hmm. what happens you're you're it's an identity shift i have i have a student who is in business for herself she does B2B content marketing. She's a really good writer. She's super professional. She's been extremely successful at this for 20 years. And now she's starting a podcast uh, called Exceptional Girls. And it is about having daughters who are neurodiverse, right, so Mm -hmm. they have autism or ADHD or whatever. And she she used that term. She said, "This is an identity shift for me. This is scary. What are my clients going to think? They've mm. never seen this part of me before, you know." So there's that whole when we come out of our identity, whether it's me as a broadcaster or a corporate person trying to all of a sudden be this good storyteller and intimate mm. and themselves, it's it's hard. Mm. That's been my experience. I I don't know. Has it been difficult for you to train people this way? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. You you talk about that being ingrained. You're talking to people who are the product of that rules of the game, if you like, which is being efficient as opposed to being authentic, isn't it? Yeah. If
1: you're
0: you're a lawyer, you don't go around talking about the mistakes you've made.
1: Oh no. (laughs) Or a doctor? (laughs) Can
0: you imagine? So that that comes with you know. So therefore, the most successful ones adopt that mindset Mm -hmm. it's tough and if you know now people are expecting different things that people talk about authenticity um you know they talk about empathy these are all born of a place where we have to sort of adopt a different identity right that's hard
1: yeah i think one thing that we don't talk about nearly enough in uh podcasting is vulnerability Mm. Right, because if you if you get under the covers with somebody after a while, like what's the biggest challenge you're facing? Mm. Often that's what it is. Mm. It's can I? I'm putting my voice out there that is so integral to who I am. What are people going to think? You know, mm. I'm nervous about that. I I don't like the sound of my voice on tape or whatever, you know, we don't, we don't talk about vulnerability mm. and confidence and, and all of that stuff enough. And we are expecting people to behave differently than we have expected in the past. It's mm. a, it's a, it is a different medium.
0: Yeah, and it starts with, the hard part is t- to get your guests to be vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. You, you can't talk about, oh, tell me about your biggest mistakes without showing that you've screwed up first because that's sort of leading by example, isn't it? Dare to be vulnerable yeah you know that's tough isn't it because then you have to rather than just being an interviewer you have to create that sort of safe space for people to say oh okay it's fine this this guy is now talking about how he lost five million on the last business deal about similar kind of thing now and that's hard isn't it because i think a lot of people go into that thinking i'm just going to ask these you know really sort of probing questions to my guests then you become like a hack right you know Mm -hmm. you become looking for that scoop whereas that's not what people want is that you want to create that sort of empathy and intimacy that you talked about.
1: Yeah. I think you just don't succeed that way, really. Not without a great deal of skill. You know, I think it's possible, Mm. but you really need a great deal of skill and experience, you know, to be successful that way. And it's generally, I mean, it's hard to generalize. I, I will say with podcasts because there are so many different formats, so many different kinds that it does depend on what we're talking Mm. about. You know, are you talking about an interview show or a solo hosted show or a narrative podcast that's highly produced and, you know, takes hours and Mm. hours and hours to get just that right bite that you're gonna use? And this is a little hard to generalize, but yeah, I agree. But you referred to that yourself. You said you did hundreds of episodes without Mm. revealing anything about yourself. And then obviously you've made a change at some point, right? Do you remember what happened?
0: It wasn't an epiphany moment. I mean, I'm sure if I write the book, that will be that will be the ding, you know, the light bulb moment. But Uh it it really was just a gradual. I mean, I suppose it's like acting, isn't it? It's just you're realizing that you're having to take yourself to the next level. You've mastered the, you know, I can actually mastered the mechanics of it, if you like.
1: I know where and stage right is yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know yeah.
0: how it all works now and it's like you it's not fatal. And now it's like okay, how do I actually reach out and do this and and just like listening to other people as well. Yeah. And sort of working out what is it that really engages people and I realized actually I think the biggest realization wasn't about the guest. I'm not saying it in any sort of egoic way. But like when you speak to your audience, you actually find out it's you that they're connecting with. And that was the big realization for me because the guests didn't matter so much.
1: Isn't that fascinating? I was mm. I was quite surprised by that. I mean, there are statistics, you've probably seen them, that uh, it's, I wish I knew the number off the top of my head. I think it's like 80 or 90% of listeners come back to a particular podcast because they fall mm. in love with the host. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, people will often ask me, well, should we, and somebody just asked me this the other day, should we have a different host for each episode? I'm like, no, 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 mm. no. Never do that. Never, ever. <laughs> do
0: that. Mm. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, they're, they're all good stuff to learn. Elaine, this has been wonderful, really enjoyed this discussion. You're You're a true artist. You've been listening to The Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.